0: life lessons. We're taking some of the Psalms of the Bible and we are discovering practical lessons for our lives and how can we make it applicable. The Psalm 34 was written 3,000 years ago. How is something 3,000 years old even applicable in our modern lives and modern society today? Well, we're going to discover that. Because there's an underlying theme for this week and also for next week because I've decided to break up this message into two parts because it was just too much good stuff. And so I broke it up into two different sections So this week and also next week. And we'll conclude this, this particular message from Psalm 34. And the underlying theme of God is good. But if you noticed, we live in a world where wrong is seen as right and right is seen as wrong, good is seen as bad, and bad is seen as good, and left is often like people argue, you know, left is right and right is left, and up and down and back and forth, and everything in our life is somewhat, I'll use the word, crazy. And the underlying theme of this morning is, God is good, but I want to ask a question. We live in a world that we could easily call insane. So how do we remain sane in an insane world? How can we keep and know and to do what is right in a world where everything is crazy around us? And that can be from all the way from wars and across our entire globe, even into our own individual families. Life can be very crazy and we can describe it as insane. So how are we going to remain sane in an insane world? Psalm 34, verse number 8 says this, and you may have heard this verse before because it's a well-known phrase. It says, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Reading that all by itself, you would, it would suggest to you that taste and see the Lord is good, that the man who was writing this, a man named David, who later became king david who later was the great 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 grandfather of jesus christ himself and we just finished a series on the book of ruth and ruth is david's great grandmother so just put that in a little bit of context for you david was writing this and he says oh taste and see the lord is good and you would observe that and think well he must have been going through really good times when he wrote that Everything must have been smooth and easy and happy because he wrote, the Lord is good. And from that, we have our principle for today. Now, if this is your first time at Southwest Baptist, we have a principle every single Sunday that we seek to apply to our life. And normally the principle is not super long, but it's a full sentence. This morning, we have the shortest principle we've ever had in the history of our church. It's three words. You should be able to remember it today. It's a simple phrase, God is good. And as I was writing it out this week, I was thinking to myself, I need to expound upon that. And I realized, no, we don't. It's a complete sentence all by itself. God is good. Oftentimes, you and I, we naturally add, God is good, but my family god is good but my relationships god is good but my marriage but my finances but my health and we often naturally add a but to the end of that sentence but i want to encourage you this morning it's god is good full stop that's the end of the sentence I want you to mull that over, and my goal is to add that to your your phrases that you use this week. Because I always suggest to you that if you don't need that even right this moment, that phrase, God is good, to be reminded, you're going to need it later this week. Probably on the way home. God is good. But, that guy cut me off. God is good, full stop. This Psalm 34 is a powerful and encouraging psalm, but it's even more powerful and even more encouraging when we understand the context surrounding it. So this morning I'm going to spend some time explaining the context of Psalm 34, and then we're going to give in some application for your life and for my life together. If you have your Bibles, you may observe in the top of your Bible, it says Psalm 34, and it has a little title. That's not part of the inspired scripture, but it's an explanation of what was taking place, maybe some of the history. Not all of the Psalms have that little title, but this Psalm, Psalm 34, says, Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and went away. Now, what was David experiencing at this time? I'm going to go back right back down to who was this man, David, who wrote this psalm, who's now recorded in the Bible 3,000 years later. He was a young boy growing up in his household. He was the youngest of of sons. I mean, I'm, I'm the eldest, so naturally I understand what it's like to be the favorite. But he was the youngest, and he was actually kind of, he was thought of less of as a result, because they thought, oh, it's just just David. And David's responsibility uh, with his older brothers was to watch over his father's sheep. And through that, he he really excelled. He showed himself to be strong and brave. And other scriptures talk about him fighting off lions and bears in order to protect his father's sheep. So he was a brave young man. And as a teenager growing up, his brothers went off to battle, went to war with the current king, a man named Saul, King Saul. And they went off to battle, and David had the responsibility of taking food to his brothers and, and providing some food for them. And while he was there, he observed a man named Goliath. And you may have heard of Goliath before. And The Bible describes him as a giant, a warrior, and he was a seasoned killer. He would stand on one side of the valley and call out to Israel and say, You bring out your champion, and I will fight against them. And whoever wins the battle would win the war, rather than all of us fight. Let's just two men fight. And Goliath, as a giant, was calling out everyone day after day after day. And all these warriors, including David's brothers, were like looking and not making eye contact, and like don't don't point at me. I don't want to be the one that's going to go fight Goliath. And David, as a teenager, hears this this ungodly man crying out, cursing God and cursing Israel. And David says. God is going to be with me. I will go and fight against him. And King Saul allowed David to go and to represent their entire nation because he was the only one brave enough to step up. But God was with him. And God worked quite a miraculous thing with a sling and some stones. He, he slung the stone, hit the Goliath in the head, dropped him to the ground and dead. And for teenage boys, you'll like this part, David got the sword of Goliath out, chopped off his head. That is David. As a result of that, David was actually made the son-in-law of the king. Now, my name is Michael. And if you know the Bible, um, David married a woman named Michael. <laughs> so it's spelled different, but it's Michael. Michael's a man's name. And so he became the son-in-law of the king. Later on, through the prophet Samuel, David was anointed as the future king of Israel. As a result, the current king, a man named Saul, David's father-in-law, became insanely jealous. And he tried to kill David many, many times. And at this period of time, this is exactly what's taking place in 1 Samuel chapter number 21 and chapter 22. That's the background of Psalm 34. David is running for his life. The king wants him dead. And the beginning of 1 Samuel 21, David rushes away and runs away without any food, without any weapons and runs towards a priest. And you can imagine just humanity behind it. Uh, he runs in. Uh, I'm out of breath and I, I'm hungry. Do you have any food? And the priest says, the only food we have is the holy bread that's set aside for God. So he gives him some of that holy set aside bread. And he goes, you know, what? I left on a king's business so fast because the king's business was running away from him. And he goes, I ran away from the king of the king's business so fast. I didn't bring a weapon. Do you have any weapons? And the priest says, the only weapon we have here is the sword of Goliath. The man that David killed. Now, David was running away from a desperate horrible situation and he in desperation is running towards this priest and he grabs the, the food grabs the sword of goliath and continues to run away and he runs to a place called gath and what makes gath significant is gath was not part of israel gath was part of the philistines and the city of gath wasn't just any old philistine city it was actually the philistine city that was the hometown of Goliath. I really don't know what David was thinking at this time. David was taking himself away from a dangerous situation and literally running into a more dangerous situation, carrying the sword of their champion. Once again, the humanity behind this. David's out of breath again. He's, okay, I've just run into the city. He's safe for a period of time. And you just imagine, why is everyone looking at me? And he looks around and he realizes, "What have I done? I've literally ran away from the fire, or ran away, and I've jumped into the into the, you know bigger fire here. I've run o- into an even more dangerous situation." The people begin to look at him. He observes. He remembers, like, "I have the sword of Goliath in my hand. your champion." It's kind of like rubbing it in their noses. The passage says that he had he wasn't going to fight against all these people. He would have he would have lost. So he changes his behavior, and the scripture tells that he becomes insane. He acts like he's crazy, and he begins to—maybe if you're a teenager and you want to get out of a test this week, this may be an option for you. He began to drool, and he began to scratch the walls, and he began to act absolutely insane. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter number 21, verses 14 and 15, The king, his name is Aches. He says, Then Aches said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Now, verse 15, I've underlined on the screen for you because I think this is something relatable for you and for me. He says, Do I lack madmen? Isn't there enough crazy in my life? Why are you bringing me more crazy into my life today? And as a result, this king goes, why is this crazy guy here? And he spares David's life, and he sends him away. And he goes on and says, you have brought this fellow to behave like as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come to my house? In other words, he's not getting in my house. Get him out of here. And that's the end of chapter number 21. This leads us into chapter number 22. Now, oftentimes, when we make impetuous, desperate, crazy situations, or to get out of crazy situations, we make some really poor choices that may end up in even worse choices, and we find ourselves in a negative cycle of bad choices because we're constantly going, well, life's crazy, life's hard, this is an insane situation, and we find ourselves after a period of time Further and further and further away from where we ever wanted to be, ever intended to be. But all along, that phrase again, God is good. That leads us into chapter number 22 of 1 Samuel. And David runs and he finds himself in a cave. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, I'm going to read the first two verses. And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So David is here hiding in a cave for his life. He's just run away from the king and he's run away from the Philistines and he's hiding and people begin to be attracted to him. And the people that are attracted to him are not the people that at this particular period in their life are living really wonderful lives now later on these 400 men join them with others and they actually they complete some tremendous battles and they're great warriors later on but the Bible describes these particular 400 men at this particular period of time as people in distress maybe you can relate to that people that are in debt people that were bitter in soul now, if you've ever been in a desperate situation You find yourself with other people in desperate situations, and the encouragement is not there at all. You're hanging around people that are bringing you down, that are discouraging. They're now looking to David to say, help us. And David's going, I have nothing to give you. That's when we get to Psalm 34. Now, what sort of advice do you think that David's going to give at a time of desperation? A time of insanity. And to answer that question again is, how do we remain sane in an insane world? This morning, I'm going to have two of the four points. Next week, we'll complete this message with the final two points and some application for us. The points are this. Join me, learn from me, listen to me, and live with me. And we're going to make some life lesson application from that, where we look to God and follow God, and we have peace with God and learn to trust God. And that's what we find in Psalm 34. So now we can make this psalm where it says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good, and realize, actually, David knows exactly what we're talking about. He's gone through some desperate, insane, crazy situations, but we can apply this to our lives, and we can make, find some encouragement for your daily life. So some life lessons. So the first life lesson is this. Join me. And he invites us to look to God. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 5. As I read this, I want you to observe the I and the my and the me statements. But David isn't going, woe is me. My life is over. I'm surrounded by a bunch of losers. And everyone hates me and wants to kill me. I want you to see his I statements are actually more focused upon God than they are about himself. He says there, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. David here is speaking from personal experience. He's saying, I have 400 people around me that are going through some really desperate times and they're looking to me for answers. Well, the answer that I can only give you is, don't look at me, let's look at God. That right there begins to change our focus. Because the total natural response, if you did not do this, the natural response that every single one of us will respond with is to look inward. That is totally natural. I googled, how do I overcome problems? And in one second, I had 50 million different answers. And as I was looking through how do I overcome problems, I began to observe a theme through the different articles. Now, I don't think any of the people that write these articles have have ill intent, but I think they have a bad foundation because they're telling us time and time again to look inwardly. Look within yourself for all the answers. You have the right answer within yourself already. And that's not what we find consistent with the Bible. It sounds so logical, but it's natural. But that's not what we're called to live. We're not called to live natural. We're called to live supernatural. Like in one particular lady summed it up very well. And I don't think this lady has any ill intent. But what she said goes directly against what we find in Psalm 34. Her name is Carmen Callum, and she's a psychotherapist, and she has a blog. So, because, first of all, because it's on the internet, it must be true. I hope you understand I'm sarcastic. I think she's writing sincerely, but you'll, you'll observe as I read this, the opposite of what we're actually going to study. The answer to all your questions are held within. Then she continues in her article. All too often, we think that we have to search for answers outside of ourselves. Looking hard to find the meaning of life through work, relationships, and hobbies. What we forget to acknowledge is that finding oneself only can be achieved by looking inward, not outward. She makes a very bold statement. The only way to find yourself, or rather to find purpose in yourself, and purpose in this life, is to look inside of ourselves. And that goes directly against what the Bible teaches. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, and in verse number 9, says, the heart, talking about the inner part of who we are. The heart is deceitful above all things. So therefore, if we're looking inward, we're going to begin to deceive ourselves. And if you're hanging around a bunch of other people that are also looking inward, we're going to deceive each other. And we're going to come to some conclusions that are very opposed to God is good. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What advice do you think that David would have received from these 400 people, these 400 men who were bitter and these 400 men that were in debt and these people that were in distress? What sort of advice do you think that he was going to be receiving from them? I don't think it would be very encouraging. I think it would be very discouraging. And When we hang around a bunch of people, we receive advice from media and our basic just general society. We will be told, look inward. And you know what? That's exactly what we find in the underlying philosophy of Satan himself. You see, Satan used to be an angel of God. His name was Lucifer. And in the book of Isaiah, it gives us just a little bit of a, a picture into the heart of Satan. And what we discover is that he is looking to himself and not to God. And it says in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, talking about Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I, I, I focused. I will sit on the mount of assembly and Far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's the natural way of responding, is to look inwardly. But if you discovered, as you look inwardly, we don't have all the answers. We begin to deceive ourselves by telling us, I just have to look deeper. I guess I haven't found it yet. I haven't gone deep enough. But what we find in the Bible is to look upward. And the upward focus, that psalm, it says there in verses 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Nowhere do we find look inward for all the answers. It's quite the opposite. Now, if you've been in church any period of time, you know these next points. My challenge to you and encouragement to you is to go beyond just the obvious. And let's break it down. Because if you were to take this question, how do we remain sane in an insane world? How would you respond? Well, 3,000 years ago, that's exactly what David did. And he lays it out really, really simply. It's not some big, big, difficult answer. So we're going to break it down into something very easy to remember. The who, the when, and the what. The who breaks it down pretty simple. And if you're in church, it's not really a surprise. It's God. I will bless the Lord. This is the turning the focus off of our negative circumstances and placing them on God himself. You see, when we look inward, we're just going to become discouraged and we're going to find ourselves discouraged with other situations and circumstances surrounding us. But our focus begins upward and saying, God, where are you? What are you doing here? How are you working in this negative situation? So the who is the Lord. And I know that's obvious. How different is that to our modern society? That's the absolute opposite. There's nowhere in the media you're going to say, and the answer to our our problems in society is the Lord. You're not going to hear that at all. I think it's a good thing that this month is Men's mental health month. But nowhere do we find in our society going, the answer is the Lord. It goes on. It's the when. So when should we be looking to the Lord? Now, naturally, when we're in a really desperate situation, we will turn to God. I've tried this. 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 Now I'll try God. And David, from the very beginning of this psalm, says, he says the next part is when is all the time? He says there, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, that all times and continually. I looked at that word continually, and it literally means in the Hebrew to stretch indefinitely. So when are we supposed to be looking to the Lord? It's not just when we've come to the end of ourselves. It should be all the time. And you know what's incredible about that is we naturally pray prayers of desperation, which are not a bad thing to do. When we're in desperate situations, we should be correctly crying out to God, saying, God, I need you. But that's not the only prayer we're supposed to be praying. That's not the only worship we're to be giving. That's not the only thing we're should be turning to God just in times of desperation. Thank God He's there in those desperate times. But we are to be crying out to God at all times continually crying out to god and seeking god so therefore it's the lord the who the when is all the time and the what and david takes the focus off of his circumstances Notice nowhere in the psalm, he mentions about fear, and he mentions about trouble, but he doesn't talk about anything specific. He doesn't talk about specific enemies. He's taking the focus, and he's looking to God here. And he talks about bless the Lord, and boast in the Lord, and magnify the Lord, and exalt the Lord. Now, maybe you're not a walking dictionary, so you may find some of these words hard to define. Like, what's the difference between boast and magnify? So therefore, I've just given you some really simple definitions we'll walk through. They're in your bulletin as well. And the thought behind this is, is that it's not just a, just do something. He's very specific here. And he talks about blessing the Lord. That's expressing God's goodness and thankfulness. It's turning the focus off of ourselves and putting it toward God and saying, God, thank you for working in my life in the small, seemingly mundane parts of our life. This is the acknowledgement that God is active in every aspect of our life. And it goes on about boasting in the Lord. It is that when we're given compliments, I think it's correct to say thank you to God for his working in our life. I don't think we should be odd in walking around going, I do nothing, it's only God. And it sounds super spiritual, but what we should be doing is actually boasting. When God's working, what a wonderful opportunity to share God's blessings with with other people and to talk about God's blessings. That is the praise and the glory of God. And we have to magnify the Lord. That's to talk about God's greatness. Has God saved you from your sins? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? We, every moment of every day, have the wonderful privilege of having a relationship with the Creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. Our sins have been washed away because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and His free gift of salvation. As a result of that, we get to talk about and magnify the greatness of God. And if nothing else in your life, if you know Christ as your Savior, your life is a tremendous life because you have eternity. And it talks finally about exalt the Lord. That is to lift up His name, to talk highly of His name. You turn that around in the way we speak to others. How can you bless God and boast in God and magnify God and exalt God before other people? Because when you do that, verse number 5 comes along and gives us a wonderful promise. Now, I have a what I've been accused of, negatively accused of, naturally, of having a resting, angry face. And I, I'm working on my smile, like I genuinely, I'm working on my smile lines. I'm walking around <laughs> smiling at awkward. It's awkward when you walk into the shop and you smile at strangers. The <laughs> but, you yeah, know, that resting, grumpy face. But you know what the Bible says? He says in verse number five, those who look to him to look to God are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. That word radiant literally means to be cheerful and actually means to sparkle. (laughs) So so therefore you want to sparkle. You don't need makeup. It's. Jesus is what you need. And therefore, it shows on your face. Have you been around somebody who is radiant, even though the circumstances are dire? Now, you imagine David. He's sharing this with these 400 discouraged men and saying, When you look to God, you're going to sparkle. And I'm sure these men were like, I'm not going to sparkle. But inside, we're like, I really wish I could sparkle. So David, first of all, the, the life lesson is, he says, join me and look to God. The second life lesson he gives is learn from me, and that is to follow God. Learn from me. He gives here a personal testimony. Now, when you go to the shops, if you're anything like me and men, we will relate. Ladies, I can't speak for you at all. But when you go to the shops, we are focused. I know what I need and how long it's going to take to get there. And it's in, get my thing, say hello to a couple of people, out instantly. Like I'm focused. I mean, I'm not ever going to be rude to you. If I see you at the shops, I'll stop and say hello. But I'm focused. I got to go. The most frustrating thing as a man is when you don't know where it is in the shops. And recently my son was, went to buy ice cream, which he knows where the ice cream is. And ice magic. And he asked my daughter Tate, where is the ice magic? Because Tate works at Woolworths, so she's supposed to know everything. Caden asked Tate, where is the ice magic? And she gave some very unhelpful advice. It's over there. And if you've ever been to the shops and not known where something is, you can tell the person who doesn't know, and it's typically a man. We're walking up and down, and we are looking at every single item on every single bay. And then we move down further, and we're looking down every single item on every single bay. The most unhelpful advice you receive is it's over there somewhere. Because reality, we don't want to hold hands in the shops, but that's really what we want. Let me show you exactly where it is. It's right there. That's the advice we really want. And in a really wonderful way, God's saying to us, you have problems, you have trouble, you're living in an insane world. Don't worry. It's over there is your your solution. Over there is your comfort. That's not what he says. He literally says, "Let me take you by your hand and follow me. I'm going to show you where Your comfort is. I'm going to show you where your direction is. That takes so much pressure off of you and I to perform. It takes the pressure off of us to be good enough, to be smart enough. All we're called to do is follow God. And let's read Psalm 34, verses 6 through 10. And David here is talking personally. This is a personal story he's sharing right now. And he says, this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Our second life lesson is to follow God. We have the privilege of being able to pray to God. That is, communicate to God, the creator of the universe. And when we pray, we pray directly to God in the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ. And all three members of the Trinity of Godhead are actively involved in our prayers. And here he says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him he heard the cry and the prayer of david that gives us a great deal of confidence we need to know prayer we need to know that when we pray they're not just empty words we're not just talking inwardly to ourselves. we're talking to the creator and sustainer of the universe that gives us a lot of confidence that we're not following a distant God. We're following a God who's able to be communicated with. He communicates with us through his word, the Bible. And when we read the Bible, it gives us words of truth. Something written literally 3,000 years ago is incredibly applicable to our lives. So when you pray and when you cry out to the Lord, you can claim the promise that the Lord hears you. And we can go on from that. We can receive not just prayer, but we need to know God's protection. And here the protection is in verse number seven. It lays out the protection as of angels. He says, I cried out to God and God protected me by sending angels. Now, God doesn't always send angels. And I firmly believe that God actively uses and the spiritual world is active in the world around us. And God enlists and and commands angels for our protection, but we're nowhere in the Bible called to pray to angels. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And so therefore, what we're called to do is to say, God, I'm enlisting, I'm calling out for your help, your protection, and how God chooses to answer that prayer is up to him. But what we find is, like in Psalm 91, verse 11, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. God's the one who can send angels. And I do believe that we can request angels. We can say, God, will you please send your protection? Will you send your angels around us? But I don't believe we should be telling God what to do and demanding that of God. What we need to know is prayer. We need to know protection. But That passage continues on about the need to do. And the need to do... Is the anticipation. God, I need to know your prayer and your protection. The final point is the need to do. That is seek the Lord, as it says in verse number 10. It's a simple little phrase, and it rolls off our tongue very easily. Seek the Lord has to do with God, where are you working? And I'm going to join you. I'm going to continue to follow you where you're working. It's not a matter of us having to come up with all the ideas, thank God. You imagine if it was all up to us to have to come up with the ideas of how we're going to to work out this world, how we're going to save ourselves, we would be totally helpless and we would be totally helpless in every aspect. But here we have a, the privilege of anticipation. God, I know you're going to hear me. I'm crying out to you, You will hear me. You will answer. Through my prayer, I will receive your protection. How you protect me is up to you. And he gives the promise, and he uses the example of young lions. Now, I've never been to Africa before, but many of you have been to Africa. Many of people were born in Africa, yeah. And you are familiar with lions. And my understanding is of the young lions, the young lions are the strong lions. The young lions are the ones who have every ability to feed them- themselves. And in that passage, it says the young lions will suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. My encouragement to you today how do we live? Right, sorry, how do we remain sane in an insane world? We have two points. We have to look to God and follow God. Rehearse in your mind that simple, simple phrase God is good full stop. As you go out this week, you're going to have opportunity to live that out. You're going to have opportunity, maybe even on the outside, as you're you're speaking with someone over coffee and tea, you know, God is good. Begin to rehearse that in your mind and add that to your phrases that you use in life and begin to look at life differently as a result.